you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. church. As Brother Bruno mentioned, we are back into the book of John, looking at John chapter 12, 1 to 11. If you're following along in verses 1 and 2, gives us the setting of what is about to take place and some of the main characters in the story who are involved. Now, linking John 11.57, the Supreme Legislative Judicial Jewish Court had decreed that if anyone who knew where Jesus was should report to them. The high priest Caiaphas, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin had an arrest warrant out for Jesus. John regarded Caiaphas' statement as a prophecy of Jesus' death without realizing it. How will this plot, how will this scheme be justified? John 11 tells us, 47 to 48. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. That's the justification of what they're about to do. Now the Roman rule gave partial freedom to the Jews as long as there were no disturbances. And no doubt, Jesus' miracles and the crowd that follows him did cause some disturbances. So Jesus, being aware that a warrant was out for him, along with his disciples, kept away from the public eyes. And went to Ephraim. Now verse 1 says that on the sixth day before the Passover, when the purification has to begin, Jesus made his way and stopped in Bethany where Jesus, where Lazarus lived. And verse 2, here is a dinner was given in his honor. Now this was a lengthy dinner as they reclined leisurely in a U-shaped low table common in those days. There were more than one meal with Martha, we should note. There was more than one meal with Martha, Mary, and Jesus. This is not the meal where Martha complained about doing all the work. This is not the setting. That took place in Galilee. And there is... There is not the setting in Luke 7 either. That was in the house of the Pharisee featuring a woman with a living, living with a colorful life. This meal setting paralleled to Mark 4, 14 and Matthew 26. There were many Marys in the story, so we have to keep our eyes which Mary we're talking about and which Mary the scripture is speaking about. We can get easily confused. 
with all the Marys. Mary is a nice name, by the way, so nothing wrong naming Mary. This meal was in the house of Simon in Bethany, the leper who had been cleansed. Now, understanding Eastern culture helps us to have a sense of what's going on. From wearing sandals, footwear, guests' feet were washed and perfume were sprinkled on the guest. It was very common. So verse 2, verse 3, well, let's go back to verse 2. Martha served as she always does. Lazarus reclined as a guest in Simon's house, and Mary always sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking up his teaching. That's what's going on. And verse 3, Mary took a pound of expensive perfume made from pure nard, anoint, and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And the house, the Bible says, was filled with the fragrance from the perfume. Now Mark 14, very interestingly, that's parallel to this portion of Scripture. Mark 14 says, while Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume made of nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. What can we make of what's going on here? Matthew and Mark, part of the accounts, know that Mary poured the perfume on Jesus' head, while John says she anointed his feet. Now, don't get carried away. All three of the accounts are in perfect harmony, since the Lord was reclining at a low U-shaped table. Now, it doesn't appear that Mary's action was out of a sudden surge of emotion. It doesn't appear that way. Her adoration was thoughtful. Her brother was dead and now alive because of Jesus. Her adoration cost her. It was costly. It involves a sacrifice and she planned it. By bringing 11 and a half ounces of Roman pound of perfume to Simon's house worth a year wage. She planned it. She knows what she was doing. It was not a sudden surge of emotion. But what's shocking is when Mary loosed the tie or the clip of her hair in public and wiped Jesus' feet. That's where the problem starts. And that's what John is focusing here. But Mary was solely focused on pouring her love in honoring Christ. And no thought of any perceived shame that might bring her. She didn't concern about that. That didn't bother her. So, Mary wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. It showed her humility. For it was a servant's work to attend the feet. You know, Jesus washed the feet, right? He called himself a servant of God. The measure of her love was her total abandonment to Jesus, 
which spoke about in Mark 14:9. Truly I tell you, Jesus is speaking, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Exactly what we are doing today at this moment. It will be told. Now people in that culture do make preparations by having a reserved. Perfume was normally associated with festivities and for burial. Festivities, dowry in marriages and burial to anoint the deceased body. And Jesus links this act with his burial in Matthew 26, 12. She did it to prepare me for my burial. Mary's adoration was shocking to her culture by dropping her hair. You don't do that in that culture. She was heedless of the cost and her repetition of a respectable woman in that village. She risked it all. She made a sacrifice. In Mark's gospel, as I said before, she broke the jar. That is significant. She broke the jar. Her thoughtful intention was not just to sprinkle Jesus with perfume, as hosts would normally do, but pour the whole jar of fragrance on him, not holding back a drop of this expensive perfume. She let it all go. She's not keeping anything back. It tells us of her love, her adoration, and worship towards Jesus. The unrestrained love. As she sat at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching, and the way he interacted with people, and the miracles he was doing, she had a deep understanding who Jesus claimed to be. Especially after her brother was raised from the dead by Jesus. She got it. Not that she didn't get it before, but she got it more. With love, adoration, and worship, Mary held on to the bread of life, to the light of the world, to the living water. Her love, adoration, devotion, and worship towards Jesus calls each one of us to pay attention. She gave her all. She gave her all. She refused to offer the Lord something that would cost nothing, like what David did in 2 Samuel 24, 24. So, Looking at what she did, here is an exhortation for us today. Do we love, adore, and worship God with our all? Do we make half-hearted efforts with our time and our resources? Do we truthfully worship God 
or we just go through religious motions and rituals. There are lessons here for each one of us that bears the name of Jesus Christ. This kind of love, adoration, devotion, and worship just didn't show up like that for Mary. Mary made priority to sit at Jesus' feet every time to learn from him and to know him better and better in an intimate way. She spent time. It cost her. The perfume permeated everyone at that dinner table as the fragrance lingers in the air and so should be the fragrance permeated our environment wherever we are like a sweet smelling aroma. Described in 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God who always lead us in victory through Jesus Christ. God uses us to spread his knowledge everywhere like a sweet-smelling perfume. Church, worship is not necessarily a surge of emotion, but a prepared heart. A prepared heart. And then the scripture continues from verse 4 to 8 reads, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, objected and said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarius and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having in charge of the money bag, he helped himself. John the writer, in hindsight, gave us Judas' real motive. John now realized, looking back, what was going on. He started thinking back. John said, not because Judas cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having been in charge of the money bag, he used to help himself. God may not immediately do anything to stop us when we choose the way of sin. But deserving consequences may follow. Jesus responded to Judas' objection. Leave her alone. It was not intended that she should save the perfume for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Mary's act was sudden, broken by a voice raised in protest that introduces a striking contrast between Mary's selflessness and Judas selfishness selfish cannot understand the unselfish this portion of scripture highlighted 
where Judas stood. So closely involved in a ministry, and at the same time, so far from the kingdom. It reminds us of the five unprepared virgins when they found out that the door was shut. They were visible in the group, but weren't really in the group. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarius and given to the poor, said Judas? He was very updated with the market value. Jesus' ambition and selfish heart was exposed for various reasons. I'm not going to get into the other one, the Roman government and so forth. I'm going to head over here. To hide his true motives, Judas' life had become a lie and a devil. The devil was gaining more and more control over him. That's how it goes. Facing the end of his ambition, he, to, he sought to get some financial compensation for the three years he thinks that he wasted with Jesus. He was fallen for three years. So he wants something back now. John was the one of the inner circle who did not see clearly at the time. But writing in retrospect many years later makes the inspired comment on Judas' real motive. He was a thief. Plain bluntly. When you're a thief, you do a lot of other things to justify yourself and to keep hiding. Judas is the greatest example of missed opportunity in history. He lived day in and day out with God incarnate for three years. Yet in the end, he rejected Jesus and betrayed him. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many graves. How true it is. Then overcome with guilt and not repentance... As his story unfolds, he committed suicide and went to hell the most degrading way. Judas was there to get something in return. He had his motives. And there is a lesson here for us. Wherever God has, may place us in ministry or attending a local church, to watch our motives... Not to look for what you can only get. In verse 7, Jesus said to Jesus, Judas, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Don't object, Judas. Don't criticize. There is a place in ministry for the poor and the needy. For the poor you'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. Jesus is saying, this 
extravagant anointing is in no way denying the poor and those in need. She did not sell the perfume. She's preparing me for burial. Why is she doing it at that moment? Maybe being aware that the death warrant is out for Jesus that Caiaphas decreed. She's doing it now while he is alive to show her love and her gratitude. Here again we can learn something. We learn in life to demonstrate our love when the person is alive. We learn in life to demonstrate our love when the person is alive. If Judas had really wanted to help the poor, he would not have lacked opportunity since Jesus reminded them all, you will always have the poor with you. The Lord is not disparaging the giving to charity to the poor. This was a unique act for a specific occasion. The challenge for believers is to keep our priorities straight. It is always good to take stock and audit ourselves often when it comes to our priorities. Always good to take stock. Do inventory. Judas now stands at the crossroads, unmasked as a hypocrite, pretending to care for the poor, while in reality embezzling the ministry money and now faced with the ultimate decision. Fall at the feet of Jesus in humble repentance, confess his sin, and seek forgiveness, or prideful, harden his infuriated heart, Refuse to repent, surrender to Satan's influence, and betray the Lord, and go to hell. So what are you going to do? Well, you know what he did, right? Tragically and sinfully, Jesus chose the latter course. With full and soul compability, for its consequences, though it fulfilled the purpose of God for the sacrifice of His Son. God ordained human events without destroying human freedom. God rules the wills of men and angels in such a transcendent way that their actions are theirs, but it happens according to His sovereign will. Period. That's it. You might be tethered in a situation surrounding your life. There is room with God, who is a merciful and a forgiving God. 
Lamentation 3, 22, 23, that Brother Albert read, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's always room. Immediately after this incident with Mary, Judas Iscariot went off to the chief priest to betray his master for 30 pieces of silver. Again, money. Mark 14 reads, They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray his master at an opportune time. How sad. Money, money, money was the forefront of Judas. Then in verse 9, we see the indifferent crowd. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came curious, not only on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he has raised from the dead. They want to see the miracle worker and the miracle recipient. Lazarus, now a famous resident in Bethany and a tourist attraction. He's getting followers. He has the message. But they don't like him, many of them, as we'll see. Lazarus, now a famous resident in Bethany and a tourist attraction. These people were not yet hostile to Jesus, but were neither committed to him. They were indifferent. They were the thrill seekers following the latest sensation, superficially interested in Jesus, but spiritually indifferent and ultimately antagonist antagonist to him. They were lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. Which is not a good position to be in when it comes to heaven and hell. At the triumphal entry, they would hail him, shouting Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But in a few days, they will scream with hatred. Away with him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And some will come to the cross and mock him. Why don't you come down from the cross? The indifferent crowd. You see, church... Curiosity does not carry anyone into the kingdom. We can be curious about the gospel, we can be curious about Jesus, we can be curious what goes on in the church, but curiosity does not carry anyone into the kingdom. You have to come to Jesus in faith, in heart. Verse 10 to 12, so the chief priests made plans 
to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of many, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. You see, it didn't go unnoticed by the religious leaders. They took notice. Remove Lazarus, shut him up, and destroy the evidence. That's the plot. Remove Lazarus, shut him up, and destroy the evidence. The Lord's raising of Lazarus had stirred up murderous opposition from the hostile Jewish leaders to fulfill what the high priest prophesies unwittingly. That is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Seeing the ruthless, the vile, the wicked religious leaders who already plotted to kill Jesus now expanded their plot to put away the living evidence as well. They've gone to him now. They got to get rid of the evidence. Too much people are trying to find out what happened to Lazarus. The blindness and the hardness of the heart by the religious leaders rejected the Messiah caused them to sink deeper into sin. Get rid of the living proof. Not only because of being afraid of the Roman rule, but also because he posed a threat to them for many of the Jews who were going away and were believing in Jesus. That's the problem. Lazarus was the undeniable testimony to Jesus' messianic claim. Lazarus was an embarrassment to the Sadducees who denied the resurrection of the dead. So, destroy the evidence. And then they'll keep the religious perk. Destroy the evidence. Now, reflecting on what Caiaphas has said, it is expedient for one, for you, that one man die for the people. But their tangled web, one wasn't enough. They had to make it two. That's how sin grows. They had to make it two. That's how evil grows. And this is a warning for us to avoid sin. Now people might look at sin and say, oh, we look at a big sin, a thief, a murder, but there are also subtle sins, those quiet, silent sins as well. This is a warning for us to avoid sin. Sin leads to more sin with a downward spiral which can only be stopped by repentance and the power of the Holy Spirit to change one's behavior. That's how it's done. So the climax, the climax of love and hate 
As you might recall, when we celebrate Christmas, in Luke 2, 24-25, and Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of men in Israel, and for a sign that will be opposed, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. From the time Jesus made his entrance as a baby into the world, this was said. And we see how it outplay throughout the scripture. No one is neutral when it comes to Jesus Christ. He warned in Luke eleven twenty three, Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. That stand determines each person's decision when it comes to Christ for their eternal destiny. Since there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other. So what can we draw from this portion of scripture, from this message? We learn from Mary's example that our love, adoration, devotion, and worship comes with sacrifice. We learn from Judah's example to watch our motives in life. Not what we can get being in ministry or from the church. We learn from the indifferent crowd not to be curious, but to be seekers of the truth. We learn to watch sin, for sin grows. Whether loving and serving Jesus like Mary, Martha, or losing out on missed opportunities like Judas, or being a curious and different like the crowd, everyone takes a stand for their destiny in life. It's hell or heaven. Make the choice. That's what the Bible calls us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for saving our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we will put these lessons into practice for our lives and embed them in our hearts that we will be obedient children of yours and to give a testimony of you, what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.